Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Back here talking about week number four in the CFL, which has come and gone this past weekend. Uh, three games played, one postponed. Uh, before we get into talking about the action of the three games, uh, I think we should start with, uh, you know, bit of an update on the whole uh, Edmonton-Toronto situation, the Elks-COVID outbreak. But uh, before we do that, Mike, how was your week? It was good. It's busy. Uh, I know I keep teasing a major announcement at some point, but I promise you it's coming in the next uh, few days to a week. So, Right on, right on. Well, so we talked last week, uh, we recorded the episode Monday afternoon. It didn't come out until later in the week because I had quite the busy week myself. Um, but at the time we last recorded, we, it was, we didn't really have a whole lot of info on the COVID outbreak with the Elks. Uh, we know now, I believe it got up to 14 total cases. Uh, we've had a couple days in a row of no positive cases for the Elks, which is really promising. Uh, I believe they are able to start practicing uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, it doesn't seem like that game against Toronto uh, is going to be going off uh, this week. They'll try to reschedule it later in the season, and we'll probably see some other games moved around uh, to accommodate it. Uh, but it looks like promising that the Labor Day matchup between Edmonton and Calgary is go. Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. I feel like we've got to put a timestamp in here every time now. I know, I know. Um, so, basically, the long and short of what was explained to me is if the test that we're taking this morning come back uh, clean, then the team is free to practice tomorrow, uh, which will be Wednesday, and they're on target then to practice then to play the annual Labor Day game on Monday. So that's that's where they kind of sit right now. Yeah, it looks like things are heading towards positive direction, uh, or, well, I guess a negative direction because all the tests are negative now. Uh, but a positive outlook on the negative tests. Uh, if I confused you, you're welcome. Um, it looks like we're going to get the Elks back on the field shortly. Uh, which is a good sign. Hopefully none of the players have long-lasting effects uh, from COVID and uh, they will make full recoveries and be back on the field performing at the usual level we're used to seeing from them. Uh, one member of the team that will not be with the Elks when they resume play is uh, offensive lineman Jacob Ruby, who was just released today, uh, supposedly for breaking COVID protocols. Uh, and more information has come out that uh, it, it seems to have involved him uh, not being very uh, clear about what his vaccination status was and maybe not being entirely honest on that. So uh, what do you make of this, Mike? Because uh, Jacob Ruby is definitely, or well now was, one of the Elks' uh, top offensive linemen. Uh, to me, this spells uh, you know, a good precedent that, look, we're not going to take uh, we're not going to be messing around with situations like this going forward. We're taking this seriously and we're taking action. Yeah. One thing that jumps out at me quite immediately is 
everybody's looking for something to grab people's attention. Uh, this certainly got it. I don't know what the situation was entirely knowingly or unknowingly pro protocol acquired it from somebody outside the team who and then he subsequently brought it in the locker room all that aside i mean we have to assume number one that this might be ground zero or case zero uh, um where it was kind of it's kind of in a no-win situation for anybody. Um, it does you no benefit to have the distraction in the locker room. Of, everybody knows who in the locker room um, what came down and brought this into the locker room. Knowingly or unknowingly, I'm going to assume accidentally at this point, unknowingly, as are a lot of the unfortunate COVID-19 cases. And, you know, I just think it's an impossible situation because if you're that person, you feel the burden of responsibility for not only yourselves, but your teammates' families. Um if you broke protocol, you broke protocol. Um, unfortunately, there's no way to repair such a relationship with your teammates, I don't think, especially the type of danger that you put not only them, but their families in. Um, it's just a very weird dynamic. I mean... Don't want to assign blame, but this to me screams case zero, ground zero case. I'm not even sure what the medical term is for that. But it's it's a message sent not only to the uh, Elks locker room, but also to the CFL as a whole that, hey, follow protocols or this could be you. Um it's unfortunate. Uh, it was going to be a rookie. It was going to be a predominant player. It didn't really matter at this point. And, and this was a message sent strongly, loud and clear. I don't believe that this would be a directive uh, that would come from Malik. But if, in fact, this individual is ground zero or case zero for bringing it into the locker room, there is no way that you could face your teammates the same way. Um, I know that if I was to ever come down with COVID, now I hope that doesn't happen, in a preventable situation where, you know, there's protocols in place, uh, yeah, I too would not be very happy with this individual. And... It's just a no-win situation for the individual in the locker room. Like, you've caused damage. You've caused potentially life-altering damage to players. Now, players and their family. Now, it's not to say that, you know, any of the cases have required hospitalization or, or any kind of um, severe cases like that. But still, I mean, that's a very serious situation. 
Uh, it's a very serious situation, and it had to be dealt with swiftly. Um, personally, I didn't see this coming. I don't think anybody did. And I think not only the Elks, but also the entire CFL has put on notice. Follow the rules or just to be you. And I, I realized that was a long answer, but it's just what I was trying to get at. I hope came through. Yeah, and it's not only the Elks. Uh, Ja'Garrett Davis, one of the top defensive linemen for the Ticats, had to sit this week out due to breaking COVID protocols as well. So uh, teams are, you know, they're not shying away from this, from making those tough decisions uh, based on the COVID situation. And, uh, you know, in that same sense, we are now at a point where every team in the league has plans uh, either already implemented or to be put in place yet in the next couple of months to have only fully vaccinated fans in the stands. Uh, when we recorded last week, I believe it was uh, just down to Edmonton and Saskatchewan uh, that hadn't had plans yet. They announced them about a minute apart the other day. Uh, and now all nine teams are uh, on that track there. And, you know, the, they're still getting some flack from it, too. Uh, you know, you find it kind of interesting. Okay, the riders are putting their plan in place, I believe, September 17th. Uh, starting then. Well, does that include the big Labor Day game that's going to be a sellout? No. Uh, same thing for the Elks. They don't put their plan in place until October 10th, uh, I think it is. So uh, granted, they have a long stretch of road games, I believe they're in the middle, but I'm sure there's at least one home game. Uh, there's a lot of people obviously clamoring, you know, why isn't this effective immediately? I kind of get the logistics of it. Uh, I think you, you know, you've got thousands of tickets already sold uh, to this Labor Day game that, you know, people have paid their money for. And then all of a sudden, oh, sorry, you can't go now. Um, I, I could see why that, that might be a logistics nightmare for them in that regard. Uh, but I totally understand, you know, where people are coming from as well when they say, uh, yeah, we, this should be implemented as soon as possible. And I'm so happy the Bombers were the first team in the league to do this. Uh, all of the games I've been to so far at IG Field have felt safe. Uh, it's been a great atmosphere, uh, and I've really enjoyed it there. And, you know, uh, to me, yes, some of these teams took a long route to get there. Uh, it may have not, and, you know, maybe they took, uh, it took some pressure on them to get these plans into place. Uh, but at the end of the day, I applaud all of the clubs uh, at, for implementing these rules in their stadium to make the game uh, safer, really, for, for the players, for the teams, for the staff working at the event, and for all the fans there. Because the CFL, uh, it's, it's a league based on its fans, uh, you know, and uh, to give them the opportunity to come and feel safe enjoying a football game, I think that's a good job done by all nine teams around the CFL. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that way. And, you know, I don't mean to slight the Saskatchewan Rock Riders organization or the Edmonton Elks for being kind of the last team to kind of hop on this. But I'll be honest, I am really, really disappointed. And I think most of the Rider fans that I talked to kind of share this sentiment that the Riders were the last team, one of the last teams anyway, to move in this direction. Um, 
one of the premier franchises in the Canadian Football League. A, fran- a franchise that has always, to me, seemed to be very proactive with this kind of stuff. That it took public pressure and maybe governmental pressure to an extent to enforce this is really, really surprising to me. Um, I would have, I would have thought if you would have told me, you know, your list of teams that would require vaccinations to perhaps even start the season or shortly early on, I thought the writers would have been one of the leaders in that department. Um, however, that being said, as disappointed as I am by that it took this long, I'm happy they finally moved in that direction. Um, for the betterment of the CFL, uh, the betterment of their community, and the betterment of the lead, and offering and making sure that they can stay on the field. And it's unfortunate that in the case of Edmonton, that it took a, a situation like what they have to make what I feel to a certain extent is a reactionary decision instead of being leaders in the situation. But, but like I said, that's hindsight being 2020. That's probably just me being um, a little bit, I guess, wired a different way. But nonetheless, I'm glad that it, it uh, I'm glad that all teams kind of took this step. Some it took longer than others. And as always, we want to really encourage everyone who hasn't done so already to go out, get your vaccines and uh, help kick COVID to the curb uh, as we uh, hope to, you know, get the, get it in hindsight and enjoy moving towards whatever the new normal is, uh, which involves CFL football back. And again, three games this past weekend. Uh, Let's get into talking about them. Uh, it started off Friday night with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, going into this game, uh, once again, the Tiger Cats missing Braylon Addison, missing Javier Posey, Marcus Tucker at wide receiver, missing Chris Van Zyl on an already shaky offensive line. Dane Evans makes his first start of the season. Um, I was expecting a big win for the Montreal Alouettes and, uh, it ends up going completely the opposite direction, a 27, 10 win for the Ticats. What are your initial thoughts on this game, Mike? My initial thoughts are what exactly are the Montreal Alouettes? I mean, they're a team that looks so dominant, uh, in dispatching the outs, but have looked so dismal, particularly uh, the last two weeks, um, you know, I felt like they would bounce back after what I thought was was their worst performance of the season, perhaps, two weeks ago. I certainly didn't foresee this coming, and it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I think Montreal is dealing with something where everybody had high expectations of, about them, and... You know, the pressure's kind of on them and everybody has such high expectations and now those expectations are being met. Uh, they're being pressed a little bit to uncomfortable circumstances. It, it's a very interesting situation what's about to develop 
uh, in Montreal, and they, they have got to get this right because I feel like a extended losing streak in general is trouble. Never mind in a shortened 14 game season. Mind you, that division is so wide open, but still, I mean, that I think is the top two offense, the top three offense in the CFL when always firing on all cylinders. Uh, the defense did a more than adequate job. Uh, it's just, it's perplexing to me how a team with that much talent offensively so badly underperforms. Yeah, another struggle day, uh, two weeks in a row now for Vernon Adams Jr. at quarterback. Uh, 16 of 31, 171 yards, a touchdown and interception. Uh, in the last two weeks, he's averaged uh, roughly 50% completion percentage. Um, it, what's going on here? Is, this just, is there just a disconnect between him and his receivers? I know we've seen a, a good handful of drop balls here a couple of overthrows. Uh, Is he overcomplicating things? Are they as a whole overcomplicating things? Because to me, one of the most notable things I've seen from Montreal's offense through three games so far is you have, in my opinion, one of the top two or three running backs in the league in William Stanback. And when he's on his game, he can have you a fantastic day. And he's the type of guy that... Much like an Andrew Harris, I would want to see and I would expect to see, you know, a solid day on the ground and a couple of dump passes his way and just let him run over teams. And we've barely seen that. Stanback's got two or three catches only through three games. He's not involved in that way. It seems uh, the play, I don't know if it's the play calling, if it's Vernon Adams' decision making. Uh, but it seems like he's just really trying to force the ball downfield. And more often than not, uh, it doesn't seem to be working. Here's the best way for me, Ryan, to sum up uh, Vernon Adams. He, it's like he hangs on to the ball for that extra second, second and a half, and doesn't properly detect what's going on. There were several instances I can think of three or four off the top of my head uh, where he had an option to hit a guy, uh, you know, seven or eight yards out or perhaps stand back uh, in in the backfield. And he's elected for that deeper pass, which has been, you know, knocked down. And I don't know if he's just not seeing it or... If the game is moving a million miles an hour for him and it it hasn't slowed down, now I find that hard to believe based on the season he had two years ago. But it's a very interesting um, that all of a sudden he's perhaps in his own head over fainting plays, hanging on to the ball longer than he should. Uh, maybe not getting a lot of help from that offensive line um, because it's it's a it's a problem when your running back can't even get yards. Never mind your passing game. It, it's almost like, and I know we used the the saying last week in the episode title, you know, vanilla defenses and, and vanilla. Well, I think. 
here you could use that very same, you know, simplistic approach for offense. And, you know, maybe it's not as simple as going 15 yards, but going five and moving the ball, you know, piece by piece by piece down the field. And maybe it's getting to what you said and he's, he's forcing the ball, um, forcing the ball down the field, but it's a very interesting prospect about what's happening with Vernon Adams. That all that being said, I have no doubt that he's going to figure this out sooner rather than later. There's just too much talent there for him. Well, just to touch on, you mentioned, you know, maybe the offensive line isn't holding up. I think they've actually been very good and maybe one of my biggest surprises at O-line so far this season. They haven't given up a lot of sacks. They only gave up one this week. Uh, They didn't give up, I believe, any. Maybe it was one against Edmonton uh, and a couple against Calgary. Uh, But they've been very solid through a couple weeks. Uh, Granted, maybe they don't get a whole lot of sacks against because Vernon Adams has that escapability uh, to be able to, you know, escape and still run for a positive game, even under pressure. But uh, I think the offense, again, like we've talked about, has all of the tools there for the Alouettes. uh, And if they can just put it together and get all on the same page, this team should be able to compete as one of the elite teams in the East division. We just have not seen that from them the past two weeks. Uh, flipping over to the other side of things, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are such an interesting specimen to me. Uh, first two weeks of the season, uh, just disastrous start for a Tiger Cats team. Uh, some people predicted to go 14 and 0. Uh, we predicted uh, to be very good this year. I believe we both had them winning the Grey Cup, uh, as did many. And things did not look right for Hamilton there. Uh, they just got had nothing going offensively. And suddenly it seems like they put, put things together this week. And what, what, what changed for Hamilton? Um, I know Dane Evans got the start. Jeremiah Mazzoli supposedly had some sore ribs after taking a couple hits against the Riders in week two, which arguably he probably shouldn't have still been in the game at the point where he took those. Uh, but I didn't think Evans came in and played spectacular 68% completion percentage, 183 yards, two touchdowns. That's nothing spectacular to write home about. Uh, What was it here for the Ticast that was the big turnaround this week? Well, I've been to, to be completely honest with you, they found somebody uh, that can catch the ball and, uh, and, you know, move the ball offensively. They, they got some semblance of a performance finally, Although it's been a long time coming from running back Sean Thomas Erlington. But more importantly, Brandon Banks surprisingly has been nuts to non existent. Uh, Braylon Addison has missed most of, if not the entire season. Yep. And we finally saw, yep, we finally saw a, you know, an offense that, uh, it's interesting because, you know, they had a receiver in uh, Stephen Dunbar Jr. Uh, really step up this week. He had six receptions on seven targets for 95 yards and a game-opening touchdown. 
I mean, that's largely been missing along with the running game uh, for, you know, the first two games of the season. That being said, I'm not too sure what to make of it because if you look at the standings, um, if you look at the standings, particularly in the West, uh, it is the Bombers and it is uh, the Riders, one, two, the Riders being in first, you know, the Bombers being in second. And who are those two losses that Hamilton has on the road against both of those two teams? So mm-hmm. maybe it's more of an overreact- overreaction to the point of uh, uh, opponent quality. And, you know, they, they are so shorthanded at the receiving course up until this week with uh, Stephen Dunbar stepping up. You know, they had an awful lot of injuries on, on, on you know, defensive important side of the ball uh, and important positions offensively and defensively. But maybe, maybe they slightly overreacted and the quality of their opponent has them right where they should be. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's an interesting comparison to make. That's right. That is the top two teams in the West Division that they've played so far. Uh, it was good to see the Ticats going back on track. And, you know, uh, I was busy Friday evening, so I didn't get a chance to watch this game. I saw I saw bits and pieces here and there, a couple plays. I followed the scores a bit uh, until about halftime. Then I checked after the game, and I saw, what the heck? The Ticats win this game 27-10. Okay, well, given the options they had, you know, at wide receiver. Again, a lot of rookies. Um, I'm thinking, okay, Brandon Banks finally got back on his horse. Uh, Jalen Acklin had himself another fine day. If you would have told me these two guys combined for three catches for 18 yards and the Ticats went on to dominate this game, I would have said you were insane. Um, but as it turns out, you mentioned Stephen Dunbar Jr. had a great day. Uh, Tim White in back-to-back games has had himself uh, not too bad of a performance. He put up three catches on three targets for 62 yards. They, these two guys were leading the way at receiver. And I think, as you mentioned, they got the run game going a bit. Uh, you know, as a team, they had close to 140 yards of rushing. I think this team just got back on track a little bit with giving their defense some time to rest was a big factor in this game for them because the defense struggled in the first two weeks of the games of the season as well. Uh, and against the Bombers, you know, they were out there and they got tired late in the fourth quarter. It seemed like that happened again against Saskatchewan. Uh, they did lead in time of possession by about a minute uh, this game. So not a huge difference there, but uh, they got back on the right side of things. They got the run game going, which I think helped Dane Evans and the rest of the crew move things along. Uh, and I thought their defense shored up their performance as a result of maybe having a little bit more rest. Yeah, and I think that's a byproduct, too, of, you know, the two teams that Hamilton has played so far this year like to use that ball control, ball management, um, let's make you have long drives kind of teams. And I think we finally saw that balance out a little bit, um, aided by some unfortunate play 
you know, from Vernon Adams and the incomplete passes shortened a lot of uh, defensive sequences. There were opportunities where, in my opinion, were drives, um, where drives could, could be extended versus, you know, the game kind of turning on its head, you know, with a few completions here or there. But by and large, I think we saw a lot of what made Hamilton successful last year in this game. Now, whether that's this is just a one-off, I'm not sure about because I think it was you, but I said I, I'm not too sure what to make of much or what to make of Hamilton uh, because it is one game and everything looks so good versus the you know the first two games. But to me, I think the jury is still out on what Hamilton is. And I think we need to be very careful. And I think this week will explain a whole lot of what I think Montreal is. Because I'm sure we'll get to Ottawa coming up here in a little bit. But there seems to be no better team right for the pitching for an offensive outbreak uh, offensively than... What is in Ottawa with their injuries in Baltimore and, you know, some key defensive players being out. This is a opportunity for Hamilton this week to play a very good Toronto team. And it's a very good opportunity for uh, Montreal to get themselves out of what is a little bit of a funk. So, you want to talk about important tone setting games? Yes. Also, for the, for the most part, it's back to backs beginning, particularly for Hamilton. I think Ottawa, or yeah, I think it's Ottawa that goes back to BC next week. I think that's the only matchup that's not a that's not a back to back. That's right. But, yeah. The fact that it matters, we're going to be learning a lot about these two teams. I mean, in the next two weeks, whether, you know, is it an admiration or is this Hamilton actually starting to starting to work out of what they had in the first two games? And, you know what, they need to get healthy. They need to find a way to get Brandon Banks involved. You know, their defense, I thought, showed some large portions of what I expected to see right from week one. But again, it's proven that last week wasn't a fluke. And if, and if, if, if you're Montreal, man, you had two lackluster showings after looking like you were in goal 14 and no one week number one, right? So it's, it's a very... The line for winning and losing in the CFL is very, very fine. It's even finer this year in a 14-team season. Well said, well said. Uh, quick final question before we move on from this game. Uh, Dane Evans starts in week number four. Maybe a bit of a surprise to us. I thought they'd go back to Mazzoli after the bye week, turns out. You know, an injury definitely played part into that. Let's say Jeremiah Mazzoli is healthy and ready to go for the Labor game Day game with Toronto. Who do you start at quarterback? For me, I... It's always tricky. I hate it when a guy loses his starting job due to injury, but uh, it wasn't anything spectacular, but I feel like Evans got more going with this offense this week. 
uh, than Mazzoli has through the first couple. And given that it's a shortened season and they're both very good quality starting quarterbacks, I almost lean towards sticking with Dane Evans for a second straight week. Yeah, it's kind of going to be that scenario of who was it now? Oh, yeah, sorry, Jake, Jake Mayer. We'll get to him in just a minute. Um, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, it's going to be an interesting thing where you need victories. And if uh, Dane Evans is the one that gets you victories, then Dane Evans deserves to be your quarterback. And I think Orlando Steinhauer has been on the record of saying, you know, Betty likes both guys. You trust both guys. Both guys understand the situation that Houghton particularly is in. Uh, in a very precarious situation where, you know, they could be one and three with, you know, if they're not careful with this game against the Argos coming up and, you know, Nick Arbuckle getting a second, you know, straight start supposedly. I mean, Ryan, we could be living in a world where everything else has been going on aside. The Hamilton Tiger Cat and the Calgary Stampeders could both start a CFL season at one and three. Step to the front of the class if you thought that that was going to happen. Yeah. And if if you do think it's going to happen, then I'm not too sure I believe you at this point. Moving on to our second game of the week, the BC Lions and the Ottawa Red Wax, the home opener for Ottawa. They lose this one 24 to 12. BC takes the win. Uh, what's the main storyline in this one? Well, the main storyline is how an offense just struggles. I mean, it's, I was listening to our friends over at the Bushois. Uh, podcast last night and I think I was talking to you at the same time and you know I'll just say this it was a podcast that was a it was a one hour therapy session (laughs) about airing the grievances of what has gone wrong with the Ottawa Red Blast and to be very candid I agree with every single one of those tweets. Um, Ottawa's just not getting play at the most important position on the field that is the quarterback. I'm not saying it's all on Matt Nichols' shoulders because it was pouring rain and the weather was ugly in the second half. But, you know what, this is not one game. This is not two games. This is three games now where, you know, your offense is kind of just sputtering. And you know what they got? I think it was Nolan McMillan back this week. You know, that helped a little bit now. But there have been instances, and I have been hesitant to say this, um, about Matt Nichols because of everything that he's done in Winnipeg. And he's perceived he's the game manager, doesn't turn the ball over, does you know, the whole, the same kind of spiel that we saw here. He's doing the same thing in Ottawa. He's not turning the ball over. He's not, you know, 
that with lighting the world on fire for, you know, 250 to 350 yards. But there comes a point where a decision needs to be made. And I, I think I said this to you, if not, I said it to somebody else. What is the breaking point for this defense where they say, you know what, we're sick of carrying the mail because they were in a large portion of this football game. There was a couple of late plays where the game got away from them. But by and large, Ottawa was in this game despite not looking very good. Um, If you want to be candid, they had more yards than they had the week before and more yards than the week before. Progress. So progress, but... (laughs) In a 14-game season, you do not have a lot of time. But I just want to say something very quickly, Ryan, if I can, about Matt Nichols. I feel so terrible for for Matt Nichols. He was our quarterback here for many, many years, had a very good record as the starting quarterback. Got a lot of knock for being a game manager. Didn't turn the ball over. The, the whole... Well, Matt Nichols, the team manager, hasn't won a big game. Okay, you know what? I can subscribe to that theory if if you want to go there. But I am just so sad for Matt Nichols. Um, It seems like that shoulder is not 100% healthy. Uh, There's a certain instances where he doesn't seem to have enough strength uh, to get the ball to where it needs to go. Um, it's it's very concerning to watch. And there might have to be a point where Paul Apolise says to Matt Nichols, hey, you know what, we might have to do something a little bit differently here. Um, and that might be a quarterback change. I believe they're, yeah, they're going home to Montreal this week. Haven't heard what their plan is at quarterback. It might be time to implement Dom Davis. And I'm very curious if Paul Apolise decides to use Dominic Davis to an extent that he used Chris Trevler to help spell off Matt Nichols every once in a while. Otherwise, are, are they in a situation where they need to find a new, uh, a new quarterback? And, I mean, they had... And then they decided to go with Matt Nichols. And I don't want this to sound like a Matt Nichols, Matt Nichols is solely to blame here, but he is the captain of the offense. He's, I, I don't want to say that he's a liability. It's just a very, very sad and unfortunate circumstance. And Yes, the guy had a shoulder injury then, 2019, but you know what I mean? Maybe the Bombers knew what was coming, and this is part of the Tolero situation. You know, that Tolero's nickel decision that they had to make. It's just a very, very sad situation, and I'm thinking that if things don't go well and Matt Nichols is back at the starting quarterback this week, that it's the same old, uh, you know, a lot of offense, a lot of, quite honestly, inspiration at times. 
that there might have to be a very difficult conversation between Paul Apolis and and uh, Matt Nichols. Now, I don't think Dominic Davis, to be very honest with you, is the right answer either. Um, that BC defense played very well, just just transitioning to BC here for a minute. But I feel like you can't. It's not as simple as um, switching the quarterback out for Ottawa this season. That is a cultural shift that you have to make in the offseason, whether that's Jake Mayer, whether that's Jeremiah Mazzoli, whether that's quarterback depth. But to talk about BC for a minute, Michael Riley, absolutely terrific when he needed to be, was able to hit his receivers very, very well, and they got a very, very good uh, defensive performance from their team all things being the side, uh, anytime you hold a team to 12 points in the CFL, uh, you've done something defensively. I'm very, very happy with what I've seen from Michael Riley after a shaky couple of weeks. Uh, he looks like he's finding his foot in here week by week. Uh, that arm strength looked better than in previous games where I've seen the BC Lions play. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, you have to manage when you're going on the road in a, in, in a CFL game. And, you know, they kept it clean, uh, turnover-wise. And Riley leads them to a big victory on the road. And BC, I, rightfully so, is that number three team in the West. And that's right, in my opinion, where they should be. Look, just to touch on going back to Ottawa here and weigh in on some of these things, uh, you know, we, we had some fun, or, well, if you're a Red Blacks fan, not fan, not fun at all. Uh, stats come out uh, over the past couple of days. I know at least one of them came from John Hodge from Three Down Nation, who said uh, that through six quarters, rookie quarterback Jake Mayer had more passing yards than the Red Blacks had through three games this season. I believe I saw another statistic. I forget who from, but uh, the Red Blacks defense through three games also has as many touchdowns as their offense, which is one. Uh, it's been a struggle for Ottawa's offense, but the big question I have to ask is, are we surprised? Like, are, did we expect them to come out and light teams up offensively this year? No, I didn't. I thought maybe, yeah, they'd be a little more efficient than they are. But when Matt Nichols came to Winnipeg, it's not like things started clicking offensively immediately either. It took a couple of years to build things up, and I think it's going to take that for Ottawa as well. Unless they decide this offseason to go out and do what they did a couple of years after they joined the league and, you know, spend big, bring in four or five of the top name receivers and build your team through free agency, it's going to take time. You're going to have growing pains out in Ottawa. And I think we're going to see that. And I think even if it's a rough season this year, we're still seeing the development of some good young players that are going to be part of their future. Uh, Ryan Davis at wide receiver, eight catches on 11 targets, 70 yards. He's been one of their top guys in every game so far this year. Uh, and I had no clue about him coming into this season personally. So I like seeing a breakout guy like that. Uh, I thought Justin Davis at running back, 
uh, was, you know, 12 carries, 43 yards, nothing spectacular. Sure. He had a couple catches as well, but uh, not a bad debut for a guy that got pulled off the practice roster due to Flanders being out with an injury. Uh, so I think there are some pieces this team can build around on offense as well as the pieces they have on defense. So uh, things look bad now, but I'm trying to provide a ray of sunshine here for the Red Blacks. And, and there's a lot of people suggesting now, okay, do you go with Dominic Davis at quarterback uh, next week? You know, to be honest, I, I don't think that makes much of a difference at this point. We've seen what Davis can do in this uh, Ottawa offense. We've seen what he can do in a Paul, Paul Apolice offense. Uh, I, I don't expect him to come out there and, you know, light it up and perform miraculously better than Matt Nichols does. I think there will be some growing pains in the first couple of weeks of this season and maybe the whole season for Ottawa. And yeah, it's not fun to sit through. We sat through it here in Winnipeg and it was not fun the, going through those growing pains. But I think, you know, give it a couple of years. They have some of those pieces there. Uh, we're going to see a bounce back Red Blacks team in a couple of seasons. Here's the question, though. Is Matt Nichols your quarterback in the future to sit through the next couple of years, assuming this will take a couple of years? No, I don't, I don't think he is. I think he's a veteran leadership uh, that that offense is missing, especially with the retirement of Brad Sinopoli. I think he's that veteran voice uh, that you bring in. You know, he's been a pretty sturdy, stable quarterback. Uh, you know what you're going to get from Matt Nichols. And, and like I said on the podcast last week, I think we're getting exactly what you should expect to get from a Matt Nichols. Uh, not lighting it up for 300 yards a game, not really turning over the ball much. He's just missing those touchdowns, which I think will come as the season goes along. I hope they will come as the season goes along. So I think he's the stopgap for now while you develop the rest of your team here. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see next year uh, the Red Blacks go out and uh, look for another quarterback option, possibly like a Jake Mayer out from Calgary. It's a very interesting concept because because the we saw Ottawa have a two win team in year one to going to the Great Cup to winning the Great Cup to having a you know the last couple of years of an okay record. There there just needs to be some consistency, and I think as long as people. T- and fans can see the building blocks in place. The CFL, almost like any other league, you have to play the long game. I think it took O'Shea Walters and company six years to kind of get the Bomber franchise to where it is now. You know, multiple. The first step was making the playoffs. The second step was, you know, Western semifinal. Two Western final losses uh, before finally kicking the door down and winning the Great Cup. It, it's a process. You have to stick with it. I know fans don't want to hear that, but it worked in Winnipeg. It certainly can work in Ottawa. And I just want to touch on BC before we move on to the final game of the week. Uh, bit of a writing the course, I think, for the Lions after the week before. 
Uh, as you kind of talked about already, I thought they got the run game going good again. You know, Shaq Cooper had an underwhelming debut, 71 yards on 14 carries over a five-yard average. Not a bad performance from him this week uh, against Ottawa. And I thought the passing game, we saw some guys uh, step up. Uh, I know we had, a, you know, an, I believe Lamar Durant left due to an injury. I think Dominic Rimes may have gotten injured as well, or, you know, it was the same situation with Rimes where he's just not getting the targets this year. Uh, but Javon Katoy, a guy who has been a very involved member of this BC offense in the past, uh, had, was slated in his backup for most of this season. Five catches, five targets, uh, 93 yards and a touchdown. Uh, very good to see. You know, you got Burnham back on track. You got like, Whitehead back on track this week. And having a, you know, a guy like Javon Katoy uh, step up and deliver a big performance on offense. I think we also saw some big performances. You know, Jordan Williams, I believe, is a rookie or first or second year player who has stepped up big time for the Lions on defense. He had a big interception this week. So I think, you know, where we saw some Lions players really step up and take over this game. And uh, if they can do that week in and week out, things look promising for BC. Yeah, and I think, sorry. Just to touch on BC, I like a lot of the pieces. And I think they are right where they should be. Like I said, the third best team in the West at this point in time. Let's move on to the final game of the week. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders. Professional psychic Mike goes and predicts last week on the podcast. This game will end with a walk-off Red A Parodies uh, field goal. Um, the only thing you got slightly wrong in your prediction is, uh, he didn't quite kick it far enough before he walked off the field. Uh, Paradis misses the 52 yarder on the final play of the game. Bombers hold on for an 18, 16 win. Uh, boy, so many storylines to talk about from this game. I think I want to start on the Stampeders side of things. Uh, cause I think this guy was the big storyline of this game. It's, it's not fair. It, it's just not fair. How every single time that Calgary has to start a different quarterback, do they turn out to be amazing? Jake Mayer, 30 of 39, 307 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, he also added a one-yard run. He also, uh, believe it or not, added a six-yard catch. The guy can do it all. Sets a franchise record for consecutive completions. A perfect first half, I believe, 17 straight. Uh, boy, you couldn't ask for more from this guy stepping in for an injured bully by Mitchell, could you? No, and I, I think to be honest, right off the hop, I never want to see that type of play and cast to Jade Mayer ever again because that was inches away from being absolutely catastrophic. Uh, I don't want to see my quarterback being blasted into orbit. Um, you know, being hit in the lower lights, uh, that's not fun to watch, and I'm sure Calgary Stampeder fans were holding their breath, but to pull that playoff in the last three minutes of a game that has gone back and forth is really quite something. I, I would hesitate a little bit, Ryan, to tell you that, you know, he is the Nets' greatest rookie quarterback. Because didn't we all say that about James Franklin? And look what became of it. Um, That's fair. 
in in Edmonton. I don't want to say he was a one-hit wonder, but one would suggest that he perhaps had a little bit more around him in Edmonton, which made him successful versus when he went somewhere else. That's fine, too. And I think the jury, to be honest with you, is still out on, you know, what Ned Arbat overcomes in Toronto. I think he'll turn into James Franklin. Um, at least that's my initial assessment. But that's really based on one game in an Argo uniform. But you know what? This, you kind of touched on it. You said some variation of, I think Calgary's about to get hot. Uh, Calgary looks like they're about to get rolling. I'm not quite in that understanding just quite yet. However, I want to see this week's game against Edmonton to see if Mayer can stack up good performance on top of good performance on top of um, good performance. Here's here's for me why I think this kid's the real deal. And, you know, you can look at stats, say back-to-back 300-yard games. That's not what I care about. Sure, that's fantastic. Sure, the 17 straight completions is fantastic franchise record. That's really cool. To me, it's the type of completions that I saw from him. And, you know, tie this into, first of all, like, I don't know if Dave Dickinson, what he put in his cereal that morning, that he just decided we're going to call the most uh, gutsiest play calls we have in our playbook and we're going to use them all today. Uh, because that third and one from their own 23-yard line where they decide to fake a punt, or, or if they originally line up the punt, they take the timeout, they line up third and one, think they're going to rush it, and no, they launch the ball downfield to Josh Huff. Now, comically, it ends in a fumble, so all of that was the equivalent of a bad punt, but uh, definitely a gutsy play call and an excellent pass by Jake Mayer on that play. There are a couple others, I'm thinking, like second and 14, and he lays the ball out perfectly in the corner, one yard past the first down line. Uh, for his receiver to grab the ball and run out of bounds. We saw that time after time. We saw some short passes. We saw some downfield passes. He was as sharp as you can get in every varying scenario you could want. Um, I know it's a small sample size of two games only, but I loved what I saw from Jake Mayer in this game. Yeah, you know what, me too, and... You know, the Bombers have stayed with one, I'll say that. Um, but they also were full marks for the win uh, with their injuries that they're dealing with. So, you know, this was just a good old-fashioned West Division hard-fought football game. But, you know, Winnipeg was fortunate to be on the right side of And that's all you can really ask for. If you're a CFL fan, that's all you can really ask for if you're a Bobber fan. And all hope is not lost at one and three in Calgary, I don't think. Now, talking about the Bombers, the big storyline coming into the game was the return of Andrew Harris. Uh, I think you and I were talking throughout the week last week, you know, in our fantasy league. I have Andrew Harris, you have Brady Oliveira. We were going back and forth on, well, who's actually going to start I think we both kind of agreed Harris was probably going to be another week away, uh, but then he gets into the starting lineup. 
Uh, 17 carries, 81 yards, a touchdown, uh, two catches for five yards as well. Uh, I just like to toot my own horn that uh, you and I made predictions on how he'd do before the game. I think you said something like 175 yards. Uh, I said 70 and a touchdown. I wasn't too far off. Uh, but what do you make of the debut of Andrew Harris in 2021? You know, it's a very Andrew Harris-ish type of game. Um, I, I really saw a different type of mojo with Harris in a running back than what I've seen with Oliveira. Um, but no, not them Brady, who I think did a really good job, particularly in week number one uh, with... Uh, with the running back position. But I, I think it also goes to say that we have not, I don't think I'm quite ready to anoint a passing of the Andrew Harris torch to Brady Oliveira just yet. I, I still think uh, this bomber offense runs and catches and pass protects by Andrew Harris being in that backfield. And you know what? That was proven to me on multiple occasions uh, in that football game. Was it a perfect game for a guy that hadn't played all season and all of last year, basically since the Great Cup? No. But I think we saw the intangibles that Andrew Harris brings, plus a very respectable uh, performance in uh, with the performance of Harris. Now, the other big storyline was the kicking game for the Bombers. Uh, Tyler Carpina uh, out on the injured list for this game. So Mark Laggio, who uh, has done a pretty solid job punting-wise so far this season, he gets in uh, to kick some field goals. He struggled a lot in training camp in this regard, which is why they brought Carpina in. Uh, he gets the chance to start here. He misses the convert early in the game. And as the game's going along, I know what you and I were thinking the same thing of, oh, no, this is going to come back to bite the Bombers in the butt. We're going to they're going to lose by one point. And well, it came very close in that regard. If Paradis makes that final field goal. Uh, but Legio comes back strong, kicks himself a 50 yard field goal. I believe he had one from uh, one or two more from in the 30s. And then lines up for the game-winning kick with 30, 40 seconds left. Uh, supposedly, I didn't realize this watching in the live in the stadium, but you corrected me afterwards, misses his first try at the game-winning field goal from about 35. Um, but the Bombers do take a time-count penalty. Now, as Mike clarified for me in the rules uh, post-game, uh, time-count penalty in the final three minutes is a loss of down on downs one or two, but is not a loss of down on third down. So very lucky for the Bombers that they get another chance to kick the field goal here again. And uh, it's almost like the reverse of the Riders in the Grey Cup in 2009, isn't it? Uh, they get another chance uh, to kick the field goal. So I guess maybe it's like Montreal. Uh, they get another chance, although this time it's off their own penalty, and Legio puts it through from about 45 uh, to win the game for the Bombers. Uh, definitely got to be a confidence-boosting day for the kid, and uh, could this be uh, the beginning of a streak for him as our kicker? Well, here, here's the thing quickly. 
Um, the third down penalty was the 10-yard penalty. So instead of the loss of down, that becomes a 10-yard penalty. Not, and since uh, before the typical five on every other play. Um, I was very impressed with what I saw by the kid. Um, those weren't just you barely made the field goal. Those were with five to ten yards to spare, basically. And I do not make anything of that miss uh, the first time around. Uh, I think he was trying to beat the time clock. Uh, the whole sequence to me looked rushed once he realized what the situation on the play clock was. So if, if, you, if you have a chance to look at the video, look at how feverishly Legio is moving backwards. Uh, when it comes to realizing that there's less than a few seconds left on the play clock, um, they try to hurry it up, and by hurrying it up, you get the result of what you uh, you get the result of what happened, uh, and, and that's fine because it's a rush kick. Uh, the Bombers were fortunate to get a second chance, and I think you would agree with me that it was one of the biggest uh, question marks in the post-Justin Medlock era of him being a punter and a kicker. I think at least for one week, that discussion has been shelved in Winnipeg, and I think it allows them to look at some other roster flexibility, which we'll get to in just a minute, because if you remember, in the first few weeks of the season, it was Kripenia dressed as the kicker, Ladio dressed as the punter. Now, if Ladio does both the place kicking point after, and punt, that saves you a roster spot potentially to use somewhere else. And we'll get to the breaking news of what happened yesterday in a second, I'm pretty sure, uh, before we wrap up this podcast. That's great. Where was going next? All in all, I, I think it's given the Bombers some flexibility and a little bit of a chance to breathe on what I think was a sour um, question mark that nobody really knew what to expect. Getting into the breaking news you're talking about, uh, Bombers add wide receiver Naaman Roosevelt, uh, two-time 1,000-yard receiver with Saskatchewan Rough Riders, had, I believe, 960 yards, something like that, in 2019. A great addition for them. Um, you know, the Bombers receivers haven't been too bad overall this season. Kenny Lawler has been a monster. Uh, Darvin Adams had himself a down day, uh, but he, you know, when he's on his game, you know, he's, he can be one of the top receivers in the league. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Rasheed Bailey this season, a 108 yard game for him. Uh, and now you add Naaman Roosevelt to that. And uh, now this was a deal that was done before the game. Uh, so it wasn't a result of what we saw from the game, but I think we've seen a bit of a case of the dropsies from the Bombers uh, receivers so far this season, much like we did have with Montreal. And, uh, you know, we saw Waller drop one or two. We saw Wallatarski drop one or two. Real drive-killing drops, too, when they happen on second down. Um, 
boy, does it feel good to have a guy like Naaman Roosevelt in your wide receiving group. And, you know, always a sure-handed receiver. He's a threat near the end zone. He can put up the big yards. And I, I'm just salivating at the thought of Darvin Adams, Kenny Waller, Rasheed Bailey, uh, Naaman Roosevelt, and then, you know, Nick Dembski, uh, depending how long he's out for with injury, and Drew Wallatarski as your fifth receiver, receiver. Like, that is a great receiving group you have there. And really, you know, two-time thousand-yard receiver, it's about dang time somebody picked up the phone and called Naaman Roosevelt. I cannot believe it took four weeks, and I cannot believe the Bombers are the team that are actually bringing him in, uh, given some of the other teams that have struggled so much at wide receiver. Makes me wonder what's going on with Nick Damsky. That's my initial reaction. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm wondering if that's an injury that's longer than we, than we think. Although the interesting thing was Coach O'Shea said that if it was a playoff team, Dembski could have probably played. We don't expect it to be long-term. Some variation of that. So who knows? We'll find out, I think, as the practice week goes on. Uh, the practice week starts tomorrow, that being Wednesday, for the... Uh, for the uh, bomber game on Sunday there in Regina, Roosevelt won't start practicing or won't be eligible to start practicing till Friday. That's a quick turnaround, so not sure we see him uh, on Labor Day. But uh, by the Banjo Bowl, we should see him uh, making an impact against his former team. Let's get into talking, Mike. About uh, let's wrap things up with our fantasy outlook, our pick 'em, and then let's get out of here because I know you got to get going to some other stuff here yet today. Uh, in the in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League, I suffered my first loss of the season, unbeaten no more. Uh, lose by about 13 points to one super fan, Mike, of the Turf District Podcast. Uh, a little fun matchup that came down to the wire there. Uh, final day, uh, you know, I'm ahead by 0.3 points. Uh, we each have a receiver left. Uh, to make it interesting, we agree to go uh, opposites because, you know, that would be kind of anticlimactic if we picked the same guy. He went with Kenny Lawler. I went with Darvin Adams and Kenny the King handed him the crown. So a loss for me. I still sit luckily at the top of the standings at three and one in a tie with Rod from the Wood Cookie Sawcast. Uh, and in week number five, I'm facing uh, another member of the Turf, Turf District in Andrew. Uh, who has been the top score, had the top score in back-to-back weeks. So a tall task for myself in week number five. Make sure you check out the Turf District podcast and all the great things those guys and uh, girls are doing over there. And uh, getting into our fantasy league, a uh, couple transactions before the, uh, the week began. Uh, I dropped Dominique Rimes and picked up Jake Wynicki. Mike uh, dropped Ante Milanovic leader and picked up uh, Kyan Schaffer-Baker of the Riders, also filling an empty roster spot he had with Lucky Whitehead. Uh, our lineups for week four, I had Zach Caleros at quarterback, Shaq Cooper, Andrew Harris, Kadeem Carey as running backs, Brian Burnham, Jake Wynicki, Kamar Jordan, Brandon Banks as receivers, the Bombers defense, and then, well, Sean White's the only kicker on my roster, and he was on a bye, so zero points there. But 101.5 points for myself. Mike had Vernon Adams Jr., William Stanback, 
Uh, Brady Oliveira, which I believe you said you had put in there in hopes of uh, potentially having a dual back system, which the, the Bombers did not go with. Uh, Sean Thomas Erlington, Kenny Lawler, Eugene Lewis, Lucky Whitehead, Darvin Adams, Hamilton's defense, and Rene Paradis for 86.1 points. So I gained 15 on you this week, Mike, but you're still ahead by an overall total of two points in the overall standings. Uh, what do you make of week number four in CFL fantasy? Yeah, so it was a very interesting week. I, I'm actually surprised I was able to upend you uh, still ahead a little bit, uh, considering the safety stuff that my dice from Montreal had. I hope we can rebound and uh, we can talk about perhaps a bit of a better week, but it seems to me like the whole fantasy system in the CFL seems to be rather slow. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, timing up uh, offenses these days. And if you want more CFL fantasy coverage, check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix on YouTube. I go through the best and worst lineup options each and every week at each position to help you set your lineups for the week there. Uh, let's get into CFL Pick'em, a two-in-one week for myself, a one-in-two week for you. Uh, can you believe it? We went to combine three-and-three three in a week, uh, host the party, throw the celebration. That's definitely by far our best week of the season, and boy, is that sad. Uh, that <laughs> it was the byproduct of us picking opposites on each game. So we literally, that was the record we were going to get no matter what. Um Let's get into the week five games. It starts off Friday night. Ottawa at home hosting the Alouettes. You are up first on this one, Mike. Yeah, I left Montreal in this game for the reasons I've already discussed. Uh, there'll be trouble in La Belle Province if they don't pull this one off. Yeah, I'm going with the Alouettes on the road as well until we see Ottawa's offense get it going. I know Montreal's offense has struggled, but... They have all the pieces there. They just need to get it together. And I don't think the Red Blacks necessarily have all the pieces there. So I'm going Montreal as well. Pick trend on that game, 84% in favor of the visiting Alouettes. Uh, getting into the Sunday game, the Labor Day matchup between the Riders and the Bombers, 77% in favor of Saskatchewan. Uh for the first time, I think, all season, I'm picking against the Bombers. I'm going Riders here based uh, on the history of the Labor Day Classic. The Bombers have, I think, won one of the last 13, and it was a last-second field goal. Uh, I think the Riders are a great team coming off a of bye week. The Bombers aren't great on the road. Uh, they're a better team at home. I'm taking Saskatchewan. I agree. I think there's just way too much going for Saskatchewan. However, I think it's going to be a close Labor Day game, but we haven't seen in many, many years. I know there was a lot of watch-off field going to the Pill Country uh, end zone there years ago in, in Regina on Labor Day. I just have to wonder, one day, just one day, the Bombers are going to win on Labor Day. It's just not going to be this year. And then getting into our Labor Day Monday doubleheader, uh, ooh, a really interesting matchup to kick things off. Uh, I think more this year than normal. Uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Toronto Argonauts, the first of four meetings between these two teams. The game's in Hamilton. 
pick trend 53% in favor of the tie cats. So it's, it's fairly evenly split down the middle. Which direction are you going? I'm going uh, Toronto. I like what they did against Winnipeg. I like their defense. I like Nick Arbuckle to pull off a big play. I think Hamilton's going to struggle uh, getting some receiving uh, help. I hope they get some Dunbar. Uh, they need to get Braylon Addison back. They need to get Brandon Banks going. He's far too quiet, which is why I like the Argos in a close one. Yeah, I like the Argos as well. I think the Argos defense is very underrated in the way they shut that Bombers offense down. And there, there's some room to, you know, cause some havoc against a weak Ticats O-line. I, I like the Argos. I like their offense as well with Nick Arbuckle at quarterback. I think it will be a good game. I think it will be a close game. But I will take Toronto on the road here as well. And finally, the Battle of Alberta. The Calgary Stampeders back at home. After a one-game road trip, uh, 73% in favor of Calgary at home over Edmonton is the pick trend. Uh, I'm going with the Stampeders here as well. I really like what I've seen from Jake Mayer in back-back weeks, and uh, maybe more than him, I really like what I've seen from Kadeem Carey at running back. The Stampeders getting the run game going very well, uh, and I think they're starting to tick. I think they're starting to get better defensively as well. And uh, watch out, Calgary. Uh, maybe as a result of these back-to-back games against the Elks are, are going to go on a bit of a hot streak, I think, as we get further in the season. And I think it starts here against the Elks this week, uh, especially given the unknowns with how they will respond after uh, all of the positive COVID cases in their locker room. So I'm going Calgary. And I'm going copy-paste, copy-paste to what you just said. So you're going with the Stampeders over the Elks as well. Well, last week we were split on every game. This week we agreed on every game, which means uh, we could uh, we either have the dangerous situation of a combined 0-8 week uh, or we have the potential to really get back on track and go 8-0 or something in between. But uh, I like it. A go big or go home. Uh, to get ourselves back on the prediction track this week. Uh, Before we wrap up the podcast, uh, one real quick thought that I I know you had mentioned you wanted to bring up, and I think we we forgot about it when we were talking about some of these games. Uh, Marshall Ferguson getting his first chance uh, to call a CFL game on TSN's uh, video broadcast, uh, that BC Ottawa game. Uh, I didn't get to see the game myself, but I heard a lot of praise for his performance. Uh, Dustin Nielsen, I know, calling that Winnipeg Calgary game. I've enjoyed all of his calls so far. Uh, love to see the breath of fresh, the breath of fresh air in those live broadcasts. I think those two are great additions, and I want to see them call more games. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, we used to have the customary, um, no offense to Chris Tufford or, or uh, Rod Black, but the CFL is trying to cater to a younger audience. Uh, Rod Black is also, uh, sorry, Rod Smith and Rod Black have also called the uh, CFL games as well, other, other than the two that you just mentioned. Um, it's nice to see the TSN and the CFL as a collective have gone a little bit younger in the broadcast booth, have shared 
the duties a little bit more. They used to have two, sometimes three uh, teams of commentators. Now it seems that they have uh, two uh, analysts and four play-by-play individuals. So it's it's very it's very good to see um, younger play-by-play announcers, very capable play-by-play announcers in the TV booth for the CFL this year. And I think the TV audiences, to be honest with you, Ryan, have reflected on that in a good way because the, the numbers for the CFL continue to hold steady, continue to be at higher than 2019 levels. It's a very good decision that the CFL and more particularly TSN made to bring in some younger um, some younger play-by-play commentators, uh, Marshall Ferguson, uh, Dustin, Dustin Nelson doing uh, CFL games. And I don't want to say it's overdue because that would be disrespecting what we had before. And, you know, Chris Cuthbert is one of the best of the best. But, you know, I was worried about, you know, what would happen with him leaving. And I feel that TSN anyway has filled the void. Uh, I was just about as well as they could have. Uh, I, I think they're off to a dream start when it comes to ratings and all that kind of stuff. And there's going to be some massive games this weekend. Uh, there's four of them, one on Friday, one on Sunday, two on Monday. And I would expect the same quality from those individuals going forward who have done a remarkable, remarkable job through four weeks. Well said. And also, I have to give a great shout-out to Kate Burness for doing a great job of hosting the panel. I think she's she's really stepped in well into that role with Rod Smith moving into the play-by-play booth. And, uh, yeah, overall, loving the, the TV broadcast experience uh, to go along with the CFL. Boy, is it just fun uh, through four weeks of the season to have CFL football back. I love it so much uh, that I could go on and talk about it for two more hours but I know we are out of time here. Mike, anything you want to mention, anything you want to plug before I do the final wrap-up of the podcast? Although it was uh, interesting to see Rod Smith in the studio for the games on uh, on uh, sun- Saturday and Sunday. So I, I'm not too sure what was up with that. Uh, maybe, maybe Kate had uh, something come up. But, uh, you know, yeah, just to pick up on the project, I think they've done a really good job. And, you know, the CFL really puts a lot of effort into Labor Day weekend uh, from a marketing standpoint, from a, you know, TV viewership standpoint. It's going to be nice to see uh, that Bomber Rider game in an evening slot for the first time as long as I can remember. That used to always be in an afternoon slot. Uh, so that's going to be nice to see. And, you know, the stretch drive starts to turn into a power drive uh, very early especially with it being game five. And we have some really enticing matchups. Uh, the uh, Alberta team has been following up with, you know, one win apiece. You had a battle for first place. Um, you had a battle for first place uh, in the West to decide it. I know the Riders have one fewer team, but still lots of storylines. And then, of course, three of the four being rematches, that's we just adds. And a layer of intrigue, and I think it's going to set certain teams up for success 
in the southern half, assuming they have a very good weekend and very good weeks in the turnaround games. Well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, make sure you check out uh, ch- check out our Twitter account at CFC on Mike FM uh, for more updates as we release new episodes of the podcast every single week. Uh, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform as well. Leave us a review. Uh, we love those. Share the show. Get it out to more people. Uh, we love talking CFL with you each and every week. Uh, check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well at CF Pod Network on Twitter. Uh, as I mentioned before, for me, you can check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix on YouTube each and every week. Follow me on Twitter as well at CooperTrooper42. Uh, if you want to see what Mike's up to, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Garrell. Also, check out the Game Time TV, MB, uh, Facebook, and Instagram pages. Uh, for any uh, news Mike's got coming out on uh, the project. I know he's hard at work on that. Uh, I'm excited to see him unveil in the near future. Uh, That does it for this episode of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. We always appreciate it. Enjoy week number five. Happy Labor Day weekend. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.